to industrial automation it doesn't have to i'm brandon ellis your host and the host of the show and i am of course here with miss beth elliott hello today brandon how are you i'm good you know i've been reading the instruction guide oh scary i didn't know men read instruction guides well i read the quick guide okay on our new little we've had it for a while but we've got a shout out to the guys at zoom but we got a zoom podcast mixing deal and check this out you ready yeah Hey. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we got sounds to play with. That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, Beth Elliott. Yeah. That's what I expect to hear yeah. from now on. And then, ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, so that what are we going to talk today about, Brandon? Yeah, I don't know, man. We'll just make noises. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. <laughs> um, so, these are called sound pads and... Hey, maybe we've needed them all along. Why don't you walk us through where, I think we're going to do a wrap-up, a summary. So, the end of Season 1. Season 1. And so, I think we're going to name this uh, episode, Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to be 2020. (laughs) That's right. So We're looking forward to 2021. (laughs) Episode 8. So, this will be the last episode, Season 1. We'll conclude with 2020. And uh, I actually have been joking uh, some this week. I actually posted it on my Facebook note this morning that I think today marks the fifth year, I'm going to say decade, of 2020. Because <laughs> it seems like it has gone on forever and ever and ever and ever. But we're coming up on Christmas. That's a that's a joyous time. But I think what we wanted to do today was look back at the the previous episodes from 2020 and talk about some of the highlights and some of the things we like and just keep it light and and happy. Sounds like a great plan to me. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the, first, the first, You're looking forward to this, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I don't have the reach to I'm, touch the well, buttons. <laughs> well, uh, what I'm expecting is that in 2021 this little board will not be in front of me next time. It'll be in front of Beth. <laughs> well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And it'll be like, let me, let me. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'll give that a rest. Maybe. <laughs> so the very first episode we had, it was industrial automation. It doesn't have to be engineered. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about the pre-engineered systems, the smart servo actuators, and the robotic work cells. And what I took away from that podcast was that the customers, you can do what you do best, and then Elitech will f- help fill in the gaps. And uh, what do you, what was your takeaway on that episode? Well, I agree with that. I think, I think the main thing that we got across on that was, it was the bra- it was the first episode. Yeah. So uh, we, we were, I was still trying to learn how to spell podcast <laughs> and I'm still, almost, I'm almost there. But the uh, the main thing we talked about was Elitech, the kind of company we are. But our our uh, what I remember is our mission statement, yeah. which the engineered systems, the pre-engineered systems, really I think speaks to because they're they're systems that are built to, like you said, utilize what the customers should be able to. Our, a lot of our customers have capabilities, or, or maybe it's not even capabilities. Maybe it's time, and uh, so that we can, you know, we can empower them, and that's the mission statement. So anyway, yeah, empowering has been a theme that goes through every episode. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And so our mission statement, of course, is to empower our customers uh, that we don't judge the products we make, the 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 systems we engineer, the solutions that we produce or, or recommend just based upon their performance alone, but on the level that it empowers our customers. That, that's the main thing about those engineered systems. You know, we started that off with our, like you said, smart servo actuators and the robotic work cells. And just really quickly, certainly check out the episode, but it, what those systems are is 
we have pre-engineered those so that we put them together. So smart servo actuators, if you're doing a pressing, dispensing, single axis type application, positioning type application, or if you're doing a Cartesian type application where there's X and Y and even Z or some combination thereof, and you we've got these pre-done systems, they're sized with the motors and the actuators, they're they can be belt-driven systems, they can be ball screw systems, they can be in a Cartesian system an XY or an XZ or a YZ or, or an XYZ. So there's different configurations, but it's all been done for you. The setup's there, the cable management's there, and the engineering as far as the sizing is there. Sizing seems to be a problem sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's a little complex, especially if you're adding ap- uh, actuators atop other actuators. So, oh, okay. Uh, because you have to start looking all the way back, not just your payload. Well, that's done. Uh, we, we will tell you this system will handle this payload moving at this speed, these okay. rates, things of that nature. It can handle this much load or this much thrust. And if we don't have that, you know, if it's missing from the printed literature, call us and we can tell you even more. And, and, and as far as that data, if you need to have it, but it's been engineered so that those items, and we feel like those items fit 80 to 85% of the applications out there, at least. And so th- that it will meet those needs. And, and, and the benefit is multi-benefit, like we said, empowering our customers. So if they want to take care of the, they're going to take care of the programming in this case, or the end of arm, whatever it is, if you're dispensing the dispensers, those kind of things, but they don't have to worry about the engineering. And then since we've done that and it's amortized across multiple systems, you're not paying someone to do that, you know, from new. And so there should be a cost savings as well. Yeah. And then same thing with the robotic work cells, they're already on a pedestal, on a on a stand, on a table, you know, a robot cell type type situation. The cable management's done, the controller mounts done, all that kind of thing. It can have safety added as a feature for like the guarding. collaborative. Well, collaboratives aren't supposed to have to have guarding. That's one of the things I think in that episode where I made my statement <laughs> heard around the world. <laughs> That I've never seen a collaborative robot that wasn't guarded. And I'm not talking about physical guarding in this case. I'm talking about light, you know, a safety, uh, like a safety light scanner okay. or a light curtain or something like that. Because we always end up doing that. You're never supposed to say always and never. <laughs> but so far, I've not seen an application where a collaborative robot was not, at least with a safety light scanner, guarded. So that would be included in the work cell? It, well, it's an option. Okay, okay. If you're, hey... You can call us, check out our website, elitech.com, E-L-L-I-T-E-K, order one of our collaboratives without safety, and I will feature you on our podcast because you're going to be the first one, but you have to give me evidence that you used it without any kind of guarding (laughs) uh, because I'm I'm longing for that, but I think also there's safety concerns that that are reasonable and uh, are necessary that that it's going to keep that from happening, at least with the technology even though the technology we have is so, so good, you're not going to tell Ethel and Joe to slide, scoot over and slide a robot in beside them and say, okay, keep working. Don't worry about, about this thing. But yeah, that, that was the main thing is that the, the robot cells and that kind of stuff, we're trying to empower our customers and let them know that it's out there. And more so, I feel like that 2021, 2020, man alive. What have we seen in 2020? Well, we saw mandatory shutdowns. We saw a lot of... Some essential in manufacturing kept going, but some uh, shut down, maybe not because of, you know, effects of the pandemic of the virus, but because the customers that they were shipping to closed down because of the effects of the pandemic of the virus. Or, or, or maybe it wasn't the effects being infection, but maybe just preventative measures. measures. Yeah. So now the whole world has changed and, and, as of this recording, the vaccines have started going out in the United States. They've been going out, I guess, in England and, and Canada and maybe some other places in Europe. And But it's still new. We don't know. If you're listening to this podcast years from now, you, you probably are shaking your head saying, you guys should have never, or, or you were lucky, or, or that was the right choice. Well, hindsight is always twenty twenty. That's right. <laughs> nope, that's the wrong one. There you go. So... So who knows what what 2021 really is going to bring in terms of manufacturing. But I believe that we are, from what we're seeing right now, as we 
exit, prepare to exit 2020, is more automation, more opportunities to not displace people, but to utilize them in different ways, to increase production, to increase throughput. I think, honestly, a lot of manufacturers are worried about their employees. They're taking a lot of fantastic steps to make sure that their employees are safe, that their facilities are set up correctly. One of the main things that we feel like works, you know, there's the the ongoing debate about masks and and how effective they are. But the one thing that I've never heard an argument about is the six-foot social distancing. And if you're in a factory environment, you may not be able to do that and still get throughput. And so we have a lot of customers that are exploring options with these robotic and, and servo actuator type situations to where they want to be able to insert because it's certainly safe to insert a robot, every, you know, a person in six feet, a robot in six feet, a person, and keep the throughput going. But then there's also the situation of uh, we've had customers that have, unfortunately, experienced some infection, some level of infections, and, and the people are out. I mean, they have to be. They're sick. Yeah. And Or they're quarantined or things of that nature. It was a potential exposure and so we were doing 14-day quarantines. I think CDC now is saying you can do seven-day quarantines. Seven to ten. Yeah, something like that. But it's still, I mean, it's a week. That's a long time to be out a person and still produce the same amount. <laughs> and if that person, the CDC is saying, you know, if you're if you're in close quarters for 15 minutes or more, you are considered exposed. So if a person tests positive or shows symptoms, they have to do the, what do they call it, the tracing or whatever. They have to the see. The contact tracing. Yeah. And so you can wipe out a large cell quickly. And I'm saying manufacturing area, uh, because in most manufacturers, we have to work close together. The associates are close together. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that, that this is going to serve as a positive thing for a lot of manufacturers to allow them to continue the throughput and the production while protecting their their associates mm-hmm. and also protecting production. You, you want to do both. You yeah. want to be a good steward to your people first, I would mm-hmm. think. But also, if you don't have production, you're not being a good steward to your people because you're going to close. <laughs> you're, you're missing trucks. Yeah. You're, you're, you're missing orders. And, and you're not being profitable. But anyway, I, I went on longer than I meant to on that. But I think that these robotic work cells, that's, I'm excited about them. If you can't tell, I still am. Uh, that that's one of the things that we're doing to empower our customers, but also help them to care for their associates. Yeah, yeah. So our second episode was industrial IoT. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. And this was our industry 4.0 digitization versus digitalization I before we started this, I had no idea that there was a difference and what big of a difference digitization and digitalization had. That's what my takeaway was that and all of the acronyms. The acronyms, that's right. <laughs> the plethora of acronyms. I couldn't spell digitization. <laughs> Actually, I could barely say it. I can spell it. I can't say it. Digitalization and digital is it d- digital see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right enough with the enough with the sound pads so so yeah so digitalization and, and digitization it's the it's it's the pulling we were talking about the difference of of what's what it, one of them is what we call uh, a to d i refer to it as analog to digital uh which is old school we don't have a lot of analog signals maybe you still do temperatures and pressures and things of that nature so i shouldn't say that but but even that, temperature transducers, pressure transducers, used to, they were analog signals, which means they vary between one voltage and another or one current and another. And so you can imagine, just like static on the radio, there's electrical noise that affects that. So it was always kind of jumping around. So we were always trying to do averaging circuit or averaging programs or circuits, even with RC circuits and things of that nature, to try to get them to not vary so much so we could get more accurate. So we refer to that as an analog signal. A digital signal, of course, is zeros and ones, which means a couple of things. Of course, on the most basic a sensor, a discrete sensor like a photoprox is either off or on. So that's a zero or a one mm-hmm. state. But when you're measuring something that's quantitative, 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 is that how I say that? Oh, hang on a second. Yeah, so... um. <laughs> 
a quantity, you know, you're basically measuring a number, most of those transducers today communicate on field bus and things of that nature, which is a digital communication. So Ethernet IP, EtherCAT, Profinet, those kind of things. And even on a serial level, meaning not Ethernet, uh, you've got, been around forever, DeviceNet, yeah, DeviceNet and, and Profi bus there it is profibus and those kind of things are se- profinet well profinet so device net was serial okay profibus was serial okay so the protocol or the language that those use was going across a serial connection meaning we have multiple wires it's a type of topology when we started moving those across cat 5 and cat 6 cables using uh, RJ45, which is more common, or an Ethernet-based or TCP/IP-based communications, the data inside of those things, as I, I didn't design them, I don't, but as I understand in the field bus, the protocol is basically the same language, but the data packets are being used in a TCP/IP or what we call Ethernet environment versus a serial environment, and so now all of a sudden. We changed the name from DeviceNet to Ethernet IP. Okay. And from Profibus to Profinet. Okay, okay, okay. And so those are derivations. Um, you know, the, the folks, uh, I think Mitsubishi uses what's called CC Link. That's their serial version of that, serialized or copper three wire in their case system. But when they went to the Ethernet version, which means it's traveling in the, the data packets, the protocols across. TCP/IP, then it it was called CC-Link IE, Industrial Ethernet. Okay, okay. And so, but but nevertheless, you took us down that rabbit track. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I don't think we've talked about the networking typology and all that stuff. Field bus versus, well, we we those are field still field buses. Okay, it's just that one's coming across TCP/IP, which is an Ethernet-based topology. And one's coming across a serial, what we call serial, uh, meaning that, you know, examples of serial topologies. Those are a little different, but RS-232, RS-485, those type of things are serial type topologies. Usually they're not as fast. Okay. TCP/IP, and it, by definition, is what's called the lossless protocol because of how it does its built-in error checking and things of that nature. And so it's nice because if you're using TCP/IP. You kind of get those things, get those features, if you will, about the not having to worry so much about did you get. I, I, you remember the game where you whisper something and you know line up in a long line, yeah. and somebody whisper gets read something, they whisper it to the next person, the next person. When you get down at the end, you hear what it, and it usually it's is nothing totally different. Right. So that's because there's no handshake in that. There's no error checking to see if what I told you is confirmed or not. Okay. Serial has those error checks, but you have to decide if you're going to use them or not. And it's really done on the other side. So uh, usually there's a checksum or something that we're sending. With TCPIP, a lot of that's built into the protocol. So okay. you, you don't have to worry. There are things you can... And sometimes we still do checksums if it's critical, but, but it's a data pack that goes with it. You know, it's built into the data that you're sending. The TCPIP topology and how it works and talks and everything. And then there's, there's collisions and all this kind of collision avoidance and stuff that it does. And these are on different layers okay. of the TCPIP. But in, in layman's terms, by using TCPIP, TCPIP is kind of the, the freight train. Okay. And the data is the cars in, in the train. And the train has an engine. You don't have to worry about the engine. TCPIP has that done. You just have to provide contents for each of the cars. Oh, okay, okay. And then it manages so, the the shipping. The so sending. Okay, all right. Um, now, if you're a computer science person uh, or a programmer or whatever, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that that's my that's my thirty thousand foot view of that thing. So that's what I'm going to say. TCPIP. <laughs> So anyway, those uh, those are so we go from field bus. You're right, field bus protocol. We didn't talk about any of that. We didn't in that episode. No. What we talked about was all the acronyms, and that's the overwhelming thing. Is and and I got actually a little bit on my soapbox because I feel like that in this in the IoT space, uh, as as I've spoken with a lot of folks, as we we used to go around and be on panels and stuff and. 2018, 2019, 2017, whatever. 
and talk with groups and 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 I've met some fantastic folks, but one common thing that I've seen is there's always somebody who has fallen victim to being sold a bill of goods. And it really bothers me when somebody comes and buys and sells you on a bill of goods and it'll do this, this, and this, and this. And especially, you know, any company, but especially smaller companies that they're trying to elevate into a new market or, or, or get some larger customers and they're having to do IoT systems. Uh, they're having to increase their efficiencies in ways that they've never done before. Their, air, you know, their quality checks and things of that nature. And so they're using a lot of this stuff. They're trying to get every ounce of production out of the equipment that they have because they may not be able to have the budget just yet to buy. They're, they're in a growth uh-huh. uh, mode. And so growth mode doesn't necessarily mean you've got money running out you know, your ears. Sometimes in those cases, it's easy to hear what you want to hear or you hear exactly what they said. Just what they said was wrong. And so um, I've commonly made this statement about a lot of products that there are a lot of products that are almost great. And it's the almost part of that that could be detrimental to what you're trying to do. I thought you said it would do this. Wait, wait, wait. We we understood it would do that. And at the end of the day, it just doesn't stack up. And so it's almost great. And, and, and in that, that, I think in that episode, we were talking about that. But the other thing we were talking about was connectivity. While that's important, that's the goal of any IoT system. We talked about the fact that if you're not going to use an IoT system for what an IoT system in manufacturing, industrial IoT system, I should, should clarify, to make business educated business decisions about moving forward and, and, and becoming a better manufacturer, then don't spend the money. And you don't have to have a high dollar IoT system in your manufacturing facility in order to do these things. You can do it with manual means. It's not going to be as accurate, potentially. It's going to be more time consuming. Mm-hmm. It's going to take more of your time to do it. It's not going to be automatic. But at the end of the day, your process may not be automatic. It may not be automated. It may be a person. And so there's going to be swing with all the people. And sometimes IoT, you remember we did an IoT system for a customer that was totally a manual process. And we put sensors and indicators and everything like that and hung them straight off our IOTA system. And we actually featured this uh, one year at the assembly show where it was a total, it was a, it was, it was, because I was proud of what, what we came up with. But we just stuck lights on there and sensors on this manual press. Oh, yes, the manual. Remember? Yes, yes. And, and, and all those sensors, because our IOTA is able to talk directly to some sensors, all those sensors were going back directly to the IOTA. There was no PLC. There was no push nope. buttons. There was nothing. And we were monitoring that the process occurred. The fi- fidget spinners. Watching yeah, them go through that's right. down the, and you could, at the very beginning, the person there was a scanner. would scan, scan their yep, fidget spinner right. at the first station, and then it would show up on the TV as to what process the they dashboard. were going that's through. Right. And then they did the manual press, and once it did it properly, then it was allowed to go the next step. Right. So that was the assembly show. And that's mm-hmm. the reason you're familiar with that, because that's one of Beth's responsibilities. <laughs> but uh, but when we put that together, that press... And what we were, okay, so we were showing the dashboard builder, which is part of our IOTA, the drag and drop dashboard tool on the TVs, as you said. We were, we were, of course, the IOTA was doing the data management and talking to the PLC. There was no PLC. It was talking to the sensors in this case. But we were also featuring our workflow manager, which controls the process and process skip. And that was actually, we talked about that in another episode. Skip check uh, was in episode six. Okay. So we talk about that in episode six. What was the title of six? Uh, it doesn't have to be hopeless. Hopeless. Okay. Oh, that was right before Thanksgiving. Yeah. That was yeah. recently. Oh, yeah. I guess we were on eight. <laughs> that manual press was so cool. It was based upon an, a th- an idea we came up with, with one of our customers and, and kind of walked them through and helped them through. They had some manual processes that they didn't need to be automated. They needed, honestly, a human touch. Okay. And But they needed to know that it went through there. Oh, for the traceability? For traceability. Okay, okay. Because the next downstream process was, they were using the workflow manager, and the next downstream process needed to be, was it was an automated process in their situation. And so the IOTA needed to be able to tell it, 
when they scan it, yes, it went through the previous. Because if it didn't go through that manual press, they were going to make a perfectly bad part. Oh. So that's what we talk about in episode six. It doesn't have to be hopeless, but we talk about the, some of those. Th- that podcast was about some of the things that we did. It was right before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So we were wanting to try and do a thankful message of thankfulness, of what, what customers have told us they're thankful for. And that was one of them, was that we were able to control that process. Well, a manual process. Like, so what we did was a multicolor light. We did a sensor. All that tied to IO-Link. If you're familiar with IO-Link, we, we can talk to uh, most IO-Link masters. And so, and a scanner. There was a scanner yeah, yeah, there. And a printer. That's right. Well, the printer was at the end. At the very end of yeah, the process. Yeah. Of, yeah. The, of the uh, line. Yeah, but yeah. at this one okay. station, all we had was those three components. Oh, oh, oh. A okay. scanner, a sensor, mm-hmm. and a light. Okay. The sensor was just attached to the side of this press so that when it went down... And it had to go fully down, Oh, it, it was. That's right. It wasn't just a sensor. It was a distance measurement, a laser sensor. Because you had to go... It had to meet up with the... Oh, sorry. With the fidget spinner. <laughs> yeah. You're banging the desk. <laughs> no. So, yeah, it had to go down and meet up with, with the, the sensor. So it had, it did, we weren't monitoring it that closely. It had to displace to a certain level. And we were monitoring that sensor. And, and once it would displace from that certain, we would, well, first they'd scan it because there, in that case, was an upstream process. So it had to say it's okay for you to run this part. Okay. And I think the upstream process at the assembly show was it had been entered into the system as a viable part. Mm-hmm. Which means they just scanned it. Actually, what we did at the assembly show was they'd scan it and they would type their name. And so their name was now attached uniquely to the part. And so on the dashboard, you could see it running down the thing. But nevertheless, that's more data stuff as far as analytical type display visualization stuff. But nevertheless, it was checking to say, is this has this been through the previous process? So the light would change from green to yellow to say we're in process. And then when they would push it down... If they would displace it far enough to where we knew we had a press, that the operation had to have taken place. Now, we weren't monitoring, is the part loaded or stuff like that. There's plenty of ways in this scenario. We only had one sensor, so, I mean, yes, an operator could bypass it, that kind of stuff. But you're putting some things in there to say, even if they bypass it, you know that, you know, it went through the process. Mm-hmm. And then the light would turn green if it was if, if if they did it right. If they didn't, stroke all the way down and came back up. It would do a red, and then we would record that to say green or red, pass or fail, and went through that process. And then on the next process, if it was red or if it never went through, it would not allow that it process to run. Yeah, it wouldn't unlock the screwdriver. That was a screwdriver. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an Ingersoll Rand. Yeah. So another thing we talked to with our IOTA. So, hey. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that that's what that was about. And so, uh, sorry, I just remembered that. Um, <laughs> that was a good thing. But uh, we were talking about a lot of terms erp is one we just said iot the iota stands for industrial internet of things appliance that's our product it versus ot yep mes mes and then we got into the kpi type things oa oee then we we did not talk uh, about teep in this one no no no. that was in episode six this this was just this was just like opc right yeah yeah what 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 the terms mean O-L-E is in there. Yeah, that's one I see in the transcript here. And, and then O-P-C. Oh, please connect. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not really what that stands for. Um, that's just what we said in the business. O-P-C is a challenge at times to connect. We don't use O-P-C for that reason. Tip, typically, we can we support O-P-C, but we don't use it typically. We use native drivers. We talked about that some. That's right. So native driver, meaning I'm talking the native language of the controller versus OPC, which is kind of in between universal language that we hope the manufacturer on the other side supports. And we hope there's a word for everything that we want to say and are here. Not necessarily the case. That's right. (laughs) Then we uh, went over on episode three. It was, it doesn't have to be unsecure. In industrial automation doesn't have to be insecure. And we expanded on Brandon's interview with Food Engineering Magazine. And that title of that was... Keeping Keep Machines. Oh, I got it. Thank you. I see it. Keeping Machines and OT Networks and IT Safe from Cyber Attacks. You know, there was some ransomware. It was still going on. But a lot of ransomware suddenly through some, some things... And so the food engineering folk, the guys at Food Engineering Magazine, were writing an article on, it, uh, on that in the food industry. Mm-hmm. We're in the food industry yeah. as of 2020. 
we're new to the food industry. And so I love getting into new industries because there's there's a lot to learn, yeah. but also a lot to offer from experiences we've had in other industries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that cybersecurity, that's a big deal. That is. And weren't we, so we were talking this morning about, uh, we were watching us, we were in that webinar and I won't say what it was, but they were talking about security, cybersecurity, but mm-hmm. they didn't mention 5G. And you were shocked about that. Yeah. Do you want to go into what? Did we talk about that in that episode? We did. Didn't we, we did. We did. It was. It's not in my notes. Um, so, so that is a vector. It is in 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 that cybersecurity space. They use the term vector for basically pathways, avenues into a system. And so, examples of vectors uh, could be I mean, if you're talking on the IT side, the information technology side. You know, our general office systems and things of that nature. One primary vector is emails. Yeah, phishing. Phishing mm-hmm. on emails and link through links and th- active links, hyperlinks, and things of that nature. So that's a vector. Bringing in a thumb drive from somewhere else and plugging it into an office system. That office system may be totally protected behind firewalls and firewalls and firewalls from the outside world or at least as much as IT can protect it from the outside world. But you bring in a thumb drive, you've bypassed all of those, and now you've introduced an internal vector. The thing that surprised me was, because that that webinar had a focus on cybersecurity and mission-critical type environments and things of that nature, and I'm I'm certainly not trying to say anything negative about it. It was a fantastic webinar. But 5G is new, so maybe that's why... It's not there yet, but a lot of industries in 2020 are pushing toward with with the introduction in 2020 has been the introduction of 5G, 5G cellular technology, and 5G is you know 4G, 3G has been around, but it was slow. Mm-hmm. 4G, of course, faster than 3G, but still, with the expense, with what has to come into play and all that kind of stuff, but 5G is is I guess now I haven't used 5G systems; it's still new to me, but Blazing fast is is my understanding. As good as being there, you know, ho- oh, wow. hooked up on the network. I don't know about fiber networks, but it's it's fast. And so here we have a cellular technology that will allow you to do pretty good real time type uh, monitoring, but also control. Oh, so uh, unsavory characters could have real time control of something. Well, the other thing we talked about in that podcast was cloud or no or cloud or hosted. So, just like the cloud, who owns the connection? Who's managing the connection? Five G. Where's it going? Who owns it? Who has access to it? And if it if it's hosted, it sh- technically should is owned by your IT people. Okay. If you hire, if you go on a budget and hire low cost IT people. <laughs> You get what you pay for. You get what you pay for. Yeah. Or if you blow the budget on the the highest you know rated IT person in the land, it's your prerogative. You're in control. Oh, okay. But if it's in a cloud based system on a cloud server that you're leasing space from, you don't really know who's in control. You don't know where the cloud is. Mm-hmm. You don't know who else is on there. Who can actually see this? And in, in a lot of, in my world, I don't know, I know there's plenty of people out there smarter than me. Are they on my server? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if I'm a cloud server, and, and, and you know, hopefully my IT folks know if they are or not, if they're on a hosted server. But at least I can ask them. I don't know who to call and ask with a cloud-based system. Yeah. And so those are the kind of conversations we had. So 5G. Who else could have access to that? Who else can gain access to that vector? USB thumb drives. Who else is allowed to bring in a USB thumb drive? Do we have to have them? You know, where did it come from? When a contractor comes in and connects up to the equipment, where has their computer been? Do we need to be worried about that? You know, how are we going to protect from that? Those are the kind of things that have to be discussed, and that's that risk analysis. Mm -hmm. But, But I was a bit surprised because 5G wasn't mentioned as a potential vector, but that's probably because at episode three, we just went through all this and this article and everything like that. So it's fresh on my mind. Yeah. But is it, it's certainly not, I don't, I don't think in terms of, uh, you know, industries, industrial type industry segments, I don't know how many people have adopted 5G because 5G is still, 
I guess, growing as far as availability and things of that nature. So maybe that's why it's not on there. But, okay. but I think it, I think it certainly merits mentioning uh, if you're part of the cybersecurity team uh, at your, your manufacturing facility or whomever is to think about these things because there are a lot of, there are a lot of manufacturers. This comes back to that bill of goods that will tell you, yeah, we can do this. Yeah, it's secure. We talked about the example in that episode of the target data yeah. breach, which was done by through the HVAC system mm-hmm. and totally cool because they got a username and a password from the HVAC vendor, one of their technicians' computers some way. I don't know. Was it phishing? Uh, did did somebody steal the laptop? Did Was it an ex-employee? I don't know uh, how they got it, but they came in that way. And so it's totally legit. It was a totally viable and allowable username and password. Yeah. It just so happened. The, and so they could have turned the temperature up or turned the thermostat off or something like that. In this case, though, it was on the same network as the point of sale systems, the cash register systems, all the card, the credit card readers and debit card readers and everything like that. And those were on Windows XP systems that hadn't been upgraded. And they were able to easily figure that out. And they added some things that leveraged the security vulnerabilities of Windows XP at the time that support was stopped on it uh, that were known by various blogs and, and well they publish them afterwards don't well, they Microsoft doesn't publish them oh okay people publish oh. them <laughs> gotcha <laughs> people smarter than me will publish these because sometimes it's honestly if I'm googling vulnerabilities it's because I want to know in my case should I be upgrading this or not you know that's how we we learn and we, we Google or search the internet for a lot of information. We, it's probably not all right, but we, we look there. So people publish things, maybe to be helpful, maybe to say, hey, check this out. Who knows? You know, for whatever reason, it's out there. And so they, they knew about it some way and used it. And it was a, the largest data breach in history because nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. Uh, How long did it, was it like three months or Two something? or three months. Yeah, it, it was, was a, a long, long time. It was, yeah. Tune into the podcast to find out because I don't know, actually, I, I think we guessed two or three months then too. I think so. we did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in episode four, uh, it was industrial robotics and it doesn't have to be complex. We talked about the types of industrial robots and how they're used in manufacturing. That's where you stumped me. On the polar one? Yeah. <laughs> it was polar, I think, or yeah. cylindrical. Uh, the, the delta, the articulate, the Cartesian, the scares, all those I know. But polar, and I, I kind of know polar. I think it was the cylindrical. I think there's a, there's a different name for it as well. So Is there? I think Spherical or yeah, something? Yeah. Uh, it was a name that I wasn't familiar with, so... Listen, check out that podcast and get a laugh making fun of Brandon. (laughs) So, but yeah, we talked a lot about the collaborative robots in that as well. Mm -hmm. Connectivity, support, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. So we went into some of the terms there. So again, kind of like the episode that we had on, it doesn't have to be uh, overwhelming. What was that one? Was that episode? Two. I've got it here. Yeah, two. So just like two in episode four, it doesn't have to be complex. Uh, we're talking about a lot of the terms, so I think you quizzed me on that as part of that. I think I passed all that. Uh, degrees of freedom, what's an axis, what do we call pitch yaw and roll and cantilevered type and work envelope, so those kind of things. Payload, I mentioned that earlier when we were talking about the Cartesian systems, which is a Cartesian robot, XYZ type situation. So payloads and those kind of things are what we're talking about there. So yeah. And I, I think I'm going to pull a quote from the first episode and I had asked you, uh, why should manufacturers use industrial robots? And you said, well, sometimes they shouldn't. Sometimes <laughs> they shouldn't. I and remember I, that. And I believe you probably said it again in this episode. That's right. Um, <laughs> and that's what I think Brandon brings to the table that not a lot of everybody does is you, you tell it tell it straight. <laughs> well, again, I don't want to sell anybody a bill of goods. That's, yeah. that's uh, I've been known to sell things I'm passionate about. And if I truly believe that it'll help somebody, I'm going to sell them on it. I mean, I'm going to push them in that direction. It's not really selling them. I, I really think it'll help. But if I don't, I'm going to say save your money. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I said that, when I made that statement, honestly, what I was thinking, because industrial robots have been around for quite a while. Cartesian robots have been around quite a, quite a while. But a couple of years ago, they're, they're really in the last decade, they're maybe not quite a decade, but close, six to eight years, maybe decade, there have been two that jump out at me in industrial automation, industrial manufacturing, two things that are what all the cool kids are doing kind of kind of things. One of those is IoT. Mm-hmm. The other one is collaborative robots. And collaborative robots are really awesome. They're awesome because the concept that we now have a robot that can sit in beside, again, Ethel and Joe and work 
right beside them without having to be guarded and all the safety guidelines and things of that nature. That's a pretty awesome thing. However, and, and then the other thing that makes them awesome is direct teach. We talk about that yeah. in that. Uh, that's where you can actually take the robot, put it in a direct teach mode, and you can actually move this entire articulated arm style robot. Now, articulated arm meaning it has four or five, you know, actually has five to six degrees of freedom. But you can move this thing in a balanced floating mode and teach it paths, teach it points and things of that nature without having to use a complex teach pendant or, uh, you know, jogging and those kind of things to get it just right. And so even someone who's not trained, uh, formally trained, can program uh, a collaborative robot. And that is really what makes them so special. And the reason that the reason that's possible, check it out. <laughs> I'll tell you why in that episode. It's what makes it collaborative. But what I was thinking when you asked me that, should you automate that? There was a time that we had a lot of customers that would call and say, management says I need to put a collaborative robot, one of those new collaborative robots on this thing. And I'm just like, why? It just doesn't, it's not going to work well. Was it in that episode we talked about the wiggle jiggle? No. What episode was that? I don't know, but um, I'll put a, I'll have to put a note in the, in the show notes. I'll have to <laughs> do that because I don't wiggle remember. jiggle. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It might have been. I'm looking through the transcripts now. It should make sense. And that, yeah, for this one, for the robots, yeah. So what I was talking about was that, in that wiggle jiggle analogy was there are some things that are just nearly impossible to get a robot to do or program a robot to do. There are human things that we do that are so simplistic and so really thoughtless that we just do them. And then somebody says, we want to put a robot on that to do that. And if you're not looking for those, especially as an integrator... <laughs> or a consultant or anything, you, you might miss the little nuances, and then it comes time to program it. You're just like, we cannot emulate that. The jiggle. The wiggle jiggle, <laughs> yeah. I think that's what I, twist and jiggle, something like that. And, and the, the analogy was there was a, this was a machine tending situation where there was a, a chuck and a lathe. So you, you've got a, a piece of bar stock that's chucked up into this thing. And um, essentially, the thing that, that comes into play is that we were trying to displace it. And the displacing, that, that whole thing, is, is the wiggle jiggle. And, and trying to get that bar unseated from that chuck, when we were talking about when I, I was actually there watching, uh, in this case, and, and the operator, just without even thinking about it, when something's lodged into a spot in this case it was a he but he he took it gripped it and he just wiggled it back and forth a little bit gave it a little jiggle and then it popped on out a robot what they were imagining was a robot could come in with a gripper grab this thing and just pull straight out not necessarily if it's stuck in there if that little stiction even though the chuck's open it's not falling out uh, in this case, it has to be slid out. And if there's any type of interference or interference fit, then you won't, you got to wiggle jiggle. Wiggle jiggle. <laughs> and <laughs> I have, I have seen some robots there with some genius programmers who have tried to emulate little nuances like that. And they're awesome to watch, but they don't work. Uh, they might work some of the time, but they don't work all the time. Because there's these little human nuances. And so, in this case, when you asked me that question, I was thinking about a specific application where, where they the only reason to automate this process was because uh, someone in upper, upper, upper management said, I read about this. That's what everybody's doing. We should do it too. Find a place. Put it there. And my point to them was not, don't do it. Let's evaluate your other processes and find a place to get more benefit from this. Because the particular place that they chose was not the best place and they were just going to waste their money yeah and i hated to see that anyway we ended up doing it they listened and we we talked about a different spot put it there and and it worked great good but good. uh but it was guarded <laughs> of course it was it had a safety scanner on it so. all right we're going to move on to uh episode five industrial automation it doesn't have to be myopic myopic yeah. i remember myopic um you that you you impressed me with that word episode five. Um, let me get caught up with you here. Am I? I'm, boy, I'm out of I'm all out of sync here. There's one, two, three, four, and seven. Am I? <laughs> I must be missing a page. All right, episode five, myopic. 
Um, yeah, you set me straight. Maybe I got two stuck together. Anyway, myopic. Myopic means, you remember what it means? It was your word. Short-sighted. Yeah. So we, we were talking about the ability to see the big picture was really the concept. Yeah. You know, you're not seeing the forest for the trees. And that's where we took those acronyms from the other IoT, what the heck does this mean, OEE type stuff. And we started breaking down to what, not just what does the acronym mean, but what it's used for. And why it's important for manufacturing. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. It, you know, it was in that one. We're, I'm doing a lot of rambling today, and I didn't mean to do that, so we're going along. But uh, it was in that one that I used the refrigerator deal that we went to. So that one, myopic, and then we did the hopeless one, which I've already touched on, that talks about the traceability and, and, and the, the presses, you know, just all the things, that the, the, the applications we did that, that were helpful to our customers. So various applications. So if you want to hear of some projects that we've done that might be – useful to you as a manufacturer that's a good episode to kind of hear those yeah and i liked your uh reasons your four reasons to automate brandon's brandology brandology came to be in that one so yeah all right brandology (laughs) so brandology it's not always accurate it's not always good but it's always interesting i think that's what we say (laughs) yeah the four reasons so let me see if i can remember those there was there's the the one thing everybody thinks of with why why would you automate especially with robotics the one thing that they all talk about is reduction of people to replace people labor reduction again i don't there's a time for that i guess but most of the case most of our customers they they may have reduced labor but really it came down to more of a the other reason is quality so if if you can if there are things that, that a machine can do better than a human more consistently, more accurately, that you just get to the point where you got to get to that level for mm-hmm. that level of quality. There's also an ergonomic, repetitive task yeah. type situation. And so most of the labor reduction was not labor reduction. It was not hurting your associate, your associates because it's it's a repetitive task and it's it's physically hurting them mm-hmm. and so we're trying to move them to a different operation or a different stance or something like that to where they do not have to hurt that that's really what i that's i, I guess it could be argued robots replace people but majority of the time manufacturers at least in, in the last five years we've all been trying more so to find people to yeah. work than replace or get rid of people and and I think I hope and pray that continues to be the case as we move forward. But labor reduction really is more so about ergonomic solutions to to help not uh, you know have these repeti- replace people from repetitive tasks that are harmful. Uh, the second thing, like I said, quality consistency, and then of course decreased cycle time or increased production. That can be from stuff that's uh, uh, you just need it to keep running, keep running, keep running, and uh, and have people tending multiple systems, but the systems are automated. They just keep running. Uh, so they run through breaks. They run through lunch. They, they run multiple shifts, all these kind of things. So that type of thing. And then lastly, flexibility or quick setup. Those those four things. And it's, it's not saying if you that you have to choose one. It's not that deal. It was... If you don't, you may be able to realize benefits across two or three of these. You can't really focus and say, I want all four of them. You just can't get all four. But if you don't, if your reason for automating isn't one of those reasons, kind of like IoT, if you're not making business decisions with the data, if if you can't fit it into one of those four things, quality, consistency is one, uh, decreased cycle time, increased production is another one, labor reduction or ergonomic type elimination issues uh, with with ergonomics. And then number four is flexibility, quick setup. If it's not at least one of those, spend your money somewhere else. It's not a good application. It's not a good focus. But yeah, that's uh, that was brandology. <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, do, and then the last episode was it. Uh, it doesn't have to be unpredictable. And we had special guest on Carrie Donovan. Carrie Donovan. <laughs> yep. So Carrie, a longtime friend of mine, uh, told spent a lot of time just telling stories on me. Um, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain. Yeah, check it out if you want to hear this. 
horse trailers. Uh, (laughs) But we talked about that. That spurred from the myopic. Uh, He had heard the myopic deal and was in the process of writing an academic white paper, specifically about predictive maintenance, which is is his forte. His company, Pathway 7, has created a device or a kit specifically for predictive maintenance applications that utilizes our iota. And so um, we're excited about that. But, But he is definitely predictive maintenance expert, especially compared to me. So it's been really interesting as I've worked with him on that kit and putting it together and hearing about what he's doing, what he's seeing. Again, we point out in that episode, we focus with our IOTA and before that, the the predecessor, the data commander in IOT, we focus on OT, operational technology, the plant floor, and, and kind of bridging the gap to IT, uh, which usually is a database server or something like that, or ERP system. This one jumps across the gap to maintenance systems and CMMS systems and things of that nature. And so it's a new perspective. I love getting in situations where I get to learn, just like the food industry, I get to learn something or or, or just think about something or have something presented in a different light. Yeah. And so that episode, we were talking about that. And that's where we talked about the first episode, the myopic one, is that where we talked about TEEP? Yes, yes. And then this one, we talk about TEEP again, and that's when I forgot what the P was. Yes. What is it? Performance. What's the whole acronym mean? Total equip effective equipment performance. And I got the we got the total equipment our effective equipment, but we couldn't remember the P. He he nor I. So he's just as guilty as me. TEEP, total effective equipment performance. If you want to know what that is and what it means and how it's measured, the episode it doesn't have to be myopic is the episode that has that. Yeah, I liked how Carrie took your refrigerator metaphor and put, you know, and made it visual yeah. <laughs> in his paper. <laughs> well, he divided good. it up into maintenance terms. The yeah, maintenance terms yeah. Of, and, and not just maintenance, but also quality. I think quality type terms, availability, performance, quality, things of that nature. Analogy of the refrigerator is uh, its most purest basic form of monitoring uh, we can monitor, and a lot of companies will say, I just want to know if it's off or on. Just a discrete monitoring. Is the refrigerator off or on? And the point is, is that enough information? Can you afford to ascertain that if the refrigerator is running, it's doing what you think it's going to do? That it contains the stuff, the food in this case, that you think it contains, and it's in the state that you think it's going to be in. Is that enough? In some applications, some some manufacturing processes, it's plenty. In others... It's not even close to enough. So that where risk analysis comes That's into play? That, the subjectiveness of okay. your process, knowing he talks about KPP. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one yet. Yeah, so that was one of the things that I really, really liked about his paper and what he put out, but how it focuses on and starts with KPP and also effectively ends with KPP because KPP, key performance parameters, you look at that first to decide what's important. What are the parameters that we want to utilize to decide what KPIs we need to go after? And then you circle back around to it at the end to say, okay, based upon these parameters, how are we going to measure or judge our success? Are our KPIs that we have developed and are monitoring working to serve us based upon the parameters that we put in place? And so the KPP is extremely important. And that's a great discussion. And, and I, I loved his his way in on that. Yeah, that's Check it out. That's yeah. I was thinking about 2021 and what we can do moving forward out of 2020. That's right. So 2021 is going to be the year of industrial automation. It doesn't have to. You like? <laughs> I did. We'll <laughs> so, use that as our intro. <laughs> yeah. So, so 2021, we're already guys. We're already talking about this. Uh, Beth and I are, are constantly talking about subjects and based upon things we hear, things we we read, comments we receive uh, um, uh, from you guys. And we, w- I want to encourage you guys to really focus on in 2021 engaging with us. We're going to hopefully have more. Uh, we've got plans for more more guests, special guests mm-hmm. like Carrie was and. And then uh, talking about things from the FDA proposed it's a food safety modernization. 
mm-hmm. act for food traceability. Yeah, and so so food. We 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 said 2020. We got introduced to some customers that are in the food industry and food processing industry. Before that, though, and, and we've been involved with medical manufacturers, and so FDA is in both of those, mm-hmm. and so we actually we actually have some knowledge yes. in that uh, that we can apply. Uh, in the food industry, even though it's some of it's a little different, but it really has to do with traceability and things of that nature. Yeah, I think we're going to also talk about some uh, the skills gap, yeah, education skills gap. I know education is de- near and dear to your heart. It so is. I think that might be a really long episode, <laughs> specifically workforce development, and and uh, uh, some of you all, some of you that know me know about Arm Tennessee Automation Resource Management Tennessee. Uh, is a is a pet project for me. It's uh, it's one I want to see come to fruition. Twenty twenty was slotted for that, slated for that, uh, and a pandemic caused us to have to step back and and push pause on that. So it's been in development. Something I've been developing and working with folks and talking with a lot of our uh, economic development folks in 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 the region, a lot of manufacturers, uh, human resources stuff about about a workforce development program that. That helps us with the biggest skill gap that I see, uh, which is really in a maintenance troubleshooting type type mm-hmm. role, and and a lot of that experience uh, is out there, uh, but it's retiring, mm-hmm. or uh, it's 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 kind of self learned, but it needs to be leveled up a little bit, or they have a toolbox full of all kinds of tools, but a laptop's not one of them, and we're not saying that that's always the best way to troubleshoot, but through the progression. If you if you have to get to that point, we want you to be comfortable. We want you to have people on your staff that are comfortable, and so that's definitely something that's very near and dear to me. That I'm passionate about, and so uh, workforce development. Yeah, that'll yeah. be one. That'll be an episode. And I think uh, safety systems would safety. be a good one. Yeah, we're doing. Uh, you know, we safety systems. They come up and they come up and they come up. Collaborative robots have safety <laughs> systems. Uh, you know, so so we'll have some fun talking about that. Maybe a special guest on that one. As that well. sounds good. And then I was uh, had vision and control technologies as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I thought that'd be good to talk about. And then, oh, do you want to? No, no, no. Uh, that vision is has been around forever, but we're doing some really cool things with vision and now. how you can tie the vision and control together mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to help increase. Production. Well, and then it there's an IoT portion to that now we've been doing that for a while but but now it's getting better and better and and uh more and more exciting more and more options and so the goal of these podcasts is to help uh to empower empower our customers and our clients and those that are listening so whether you're in the east tennessee region or whether you're on the other side of the world we want to make sure that we are trying to be a positive influence uh, uh an empowering type influence to uh, allow them, allow you, the listener, to benefit from from the experiences that we've had. But I want to encourage you all to give us your feedback as you're hearing stuff. What are you hearing? What are you running into? And you know, we'll. we'll... I would like to hear somebody's problem that they that they've gone around and they've been. I've got this problem and nobody's been able to help me solve it. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to. I, that's what I want to hear is this is the problem I've got. Help me solve it. (laughs) And hopefully it won't be. (laughs) But let me tell you, my promise to you is if I don't know, I'm going to say I don't know. And if I think there's just not a good viable way, kind of like the wiggle jiggle, to get that done, maybe we look at it from a different perspective or something like that is what we would offer. But yeah, those type challenges, we we have a lot of folks that call us and say, hey, you know, this is something I, tell me this, you know, you know a lot about this. We want to have those type of conversations. I think those are good conversations. Those kind of standing around the coffee machine talking, you know, or, or you know, in the conference room or the hotel lobby or whatever. Those conversations are really a lot of what this stuff is and this podcast is meant to be. Yeah. Well, I think our next one, we're going to skip a week. So our next episode will be out December 23rd. And then our following one will be out, or December 22nd. And then our following one will be uh, January 12th. So we're going to, it's going to be three weeks before our January 2021 season two starts. Right. So January 12th, Tuesday, January 12th is when we'll be back on the air for 2021. uh, Really over the holiday week, holiday break, you guys call us and just leave us a voicemail. Sure. It's 865-409-4444. 
1555 extension 804 and leave a voicemail and we'll be sure to feature you on the air. You can also hit us up on our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Mm-hmm. <laughs> and our website is www.elitech.com. Today is National What? Oh, it's National Chocolate Covered Air Anything Day. Yeah, I was looking at the calendar. And here. I was going to, um, I did get something chocolate covered for you. So For me? Yes. <laughs> hey. All right, man. <laughs> chocolate covered. So uh, hopefully it's uh, Christmas candy. So listen, guys, have a wonderful and blessed Merry, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks for joining us in 2020. Let's look forward to a wonderful and productive 2021. Right, Beth? You got it, Brandon. All right. So guys, Happy New Year. That's not a very good one. I'll give you something better than that. Yeah, we got to do better than that. Let's see. Happy New Year. Hey. That's better. All right. (laughs) See you guys later.